0: When fans of Metro Focus ask if I'm from New York, I always pause and tell them, mm, yes and no. I'm from New York State, but I know New Yorkers don't always see it that way. There's the city, and anything north of the Bronx is upstate. I do not live upstate. Thanks to a stint covering the Empire State from Albany, I learned that upstaters consider where I live to be downstate, or like a rural extension of the city. Where I'm from and I live, is in the Hudson Valley, but it's not like I didn't give city life a go. When I was applying to colleges, there was only one place I wanted to start my life, N-Y-C. But years before the crowded subway cars, before the rent was too damn high, I found myself at a housing crossroads and I chose to leave New York. This is my story. In 2011, I returned to my granola crunchy Ulster County roots. Now, apparently, it was an inevitable decision. Legend has it that the northward flow of the Walk Hill and the Hudson Rivers cause anyone who leaves Ulster County to be inexplicably drawn back. Now, of course, that only works if you're fleeing south to New York, which most of my high school classmates did. But then there's my favorite legend. The Lenape Indians cursed the land. So once upon a time in the 17th century, the pushy Zionistic Huguenots wanted New Palt all to themselves, and they wanted the savages off it. Now, of course, I have no idea if any of this is true, but honestly, what tall tale is? So before the French Protestants could implement their 17th century urban renewal slash gentrification project, the Lenape cursed the ground, saying, if you people want this land so bad, neither you, nor your children, nor anyone born or raised here will ever leave it ever so like so many apostates before me i went back but it's not just for love i'm a brooklyn fugitive a while back i moved into an urban myth a fully restored brownstone two-bedroom apartment with dishwasher and washer dryer all utilities included even a full cable package in the incredibly cheap rent and even easily available street parking My second-floor apartment was the only one in my newlywed landlord's home. She lived above and below me, but for the most part, we got along. So everything was meticulously maintained. I had really hit the sweet spot. Then, my landlord got a divorce. Now, when I moved in, she and her husband were about to have a baby. And two years later, their marriage was a wrap. She got a quickie one-sided divorce in which she retained outright ownership of everything. She even got full custody of the kid and repossessed his car. So her now ex-husband was essentially kicked to the curb with the shirt on his back, literally. But in the name of the kid, he was still around, sometimes visiting, sometimes living, and sometimes disappearing for months at a time. Fast forward three years to August of 2011, a swarm of cops, four cars in total, show up outside the building responding to a call claiming that there were three dead bodies in the home, including mine. My landlord and her ex always had a bit of a volatile relationship. They would get into these heated, nasty fights, and sometimes one would call the cops on the other claiming domestic violence. No one was ever arrested and nothing was ever proven, but this was the first time it reached a serious level of homicide, and most importantly, it involved me. I was alone in the building, so I had to not only let the police in to search the premises, but I had the added pleasure of assuring them I was indeed alive. Eventually, the officers determined they had a bad tip and all eight cops finally left. Well, there was no way in hell I was spending the rest of the night there. I immediately packed some clothes and left for a friend's place. As I was getting into my car, conveniently parked in front of the brownstone, who do I see looking disheveled on a bicycle in a stained undershirt, khaki shorts, white tube socks pulled up to his calves and house shoes? But my landlord's ex. He looked like Debo from Friday. He rode up next to my car door, grabbed the driver's side door and yanked it open. I'm so sorry you had to get involved in all of this. Had to, seriously? His breath reeked of tequila. Jenna, I'm so sorry, this had nothing to do with you, but you know what she did to me was wrong, right? Throwing me out like garbage while she's laid up in the house with a new boyfriend? You know I built that house. She thinks she can just throw me out like a piece of trash. The whole evening had me so freaked out, I couldn't even process what he was saying i told him i had to go and i didn't have time to talk i pulled harder on the door to close it and then he yanked it back open and leaned in all of the emotion left his face and in a calm deep voice he said seriously you should find another place to live he knew that i knew that he knew every wire every pipe and every gas line in the building Fully freaked out, I yanked on my car door with all the strength of the Hulk and slammed it shut. I threw my car into drive and headed over to a friend's. I woke up the next morning, still jittery from the night's antics. Now, my friend, who was the saint in all of this, spent her night talking me down from an emotional ledge and helping me work up the nerve to go back to my apartment. As soon as I opened the front door, I see my landlord coming down the stairs. Oh my God, I owe you such an apology. Last night was drama, huh? Oh, it is she serious? Is she gonna play off a false homicide as silly drama? Listen, Jenna, I can't talk long because I have to get back to the hospital. She sounded so casual, all I could think is you have to what, where, and why? Apparently, after I left that night, her ex, on his bicycle, hung out in the neighborhood waiting for her to return. It turns out the entire thing began with one of their classic fights over her new boyfriend living in the house. He yelled, she yelled, the new boyfriend yelled, and the ex threatened to kill everyone. Now my landlord, the new boyfriend, and her daughter left to go to the boyfriend's place. Why they didn't stay the whole night, I'll never know. But before getting to the boyfriend's place, they stopped at the police station to file a restraining order, which by the way was not the first one between my landlord and her ex. It was in that window of time that he called in the false homicide. The paperwork for the restraining order hadn't even gone into effect. So the cops responded to the call just after I had arrived from a lovely weekend in New Paltz. Once I left, my landlord and her new boyfriend, and probably unfortunately the kid, returned to the brownstone. Again, why? I really don't know. Her ex was there waiting with a machete. You heard that right, a machete. I have no idea where someone even goes to purchase a machete. But he starts swinging the blade in a blind rage, and he hacks several cuts into the doorway and nicks the new boyfriend in the shoulder, whom she's on her way to the hospital to get. This was way too much crazy information to even try to process. So I mumbled something about, glad you're okay, and immediately went upstairs to my apartment to start looking for a new place to live. Unfortunately... Between the economy, my meager salary, and the emerging Brooklyn housing market, decent rentals in my price range had dried up and I languished in housing limbo. Luckily, things had seemed to calm down at the brownstone. Experience told me that while my landlord and her ex would have nasty fights, there was usually a calm of about six to eight months between them, so I figured I had time to figure things out. A week later, when my landlord told me that she went to the cops to drop the restraining order, I thought, well, I've still got time. Fast forward to October 9th, a Sunday, 2011. I was again returning from a lovely weekend in the Hudson Valley. I had just visited one of the local wineries at the height of leaf season and was still buzzing about how beautiful it was. I came home, I unpacked, and went to bed. At 3 a.m. that night, the cops were back again. This time, five cars deep, and they were inside the building with blocks drawn investigating claims of another homicide. I woke up to what sounded like stormtroopers stomping up the wood stairs. I staggered out of bed, praying it was my landlord and some drunken friends after a late night out. Police! Open up! Screamed the person, pounding on my apartment door. Frightened and shaken, I opened the door, only to have a flashlight beam thrown in my face and two other officers, guns drawn, demanding to know who I was. Do you live here? In a soft, nervous voice, I told them, yeah, this is my apartment. Apartment? We were told this is a single occupancy building. Okay, total side note, but part of me had always questioned the legality of my apartment. I assured the cops that I was indeed the tenant and that this was my apartment. Well, we're gonna need to search the premises anyway. Again, I complied and I let them in. Standing in my doorway in my most unflattering t-shirt and boxer shorts, I remember thinking how odd it was that police with guns are searching my apartment for a possible killer. This is not my life, how the hell did I get here? While the cops were searching my apartment, I could hear the lady cop slash domestic violence intervention counselor downstairs grilling my landlord. Ma'am, does he have a key? My landlord, speaking in a soft voice, sounding humiliated, kept trying to explain that her ex no longer lives in the building. But the cop wasn't buying it. Ma'am, when we got here, your door, your front door was not unlocked, it was open. Now I'm gonna ask you again, does he still have a key? It was in that moment that I realized, in all of the comings and goings of my landlord's ex-husband, I never saw her let him in. He would simply appear, and it was completely possible that even if she did take his keys back, he made copies. Well, that was it. Can you believe it only took two homicides? The next day, my landlord and I had a huge blow-up over her murderous ex. She insisted that I was overreacting and that he was just lonely and trying to get her attention. Because in her world, that's what normal people do when they want to get attention. You tell the cops you kill people. (sighs) I was back in New Paltz by Friday. Sometimes blessings come in disguise. Thank you for listening. Want more of the Metro Focus podcast in your ear? Subscribe on SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, please remember to like Metro Focus on Facebook and Twitter. And if you have a question for me or any of the Metro Focus staff, ask us on Twitter with hashtag MetroFocus.